Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Play DNA. I'm Sarah. And I'm Damon. And I'm Cassandra. And we'd like to thank you for listening today. Today, we're going to talk about puzzle games, puzzles in games. But before we jump into that, have you guys played anything recently? I know you guys did like a scavenger hunt and your answer was superior. It was so good. You put it on Facebook and I, I loved it. It was like a poem. It was definitely a poem. Yeah, we did We did do a scavenger hunt, a virtual scavenger hunt. So everybody met up on Zoom beforehand, and then we got a list of things that we could do from the safety of home or going outside. And uh, it was extremely fun. Two of the prompts were do a mathematical proof and write a poem, and Damon decided to combine those two. And he did a poem about the Pythagorean theorem. I did. It was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was so cute. I watched the video online. It was it was adorable. We played Subterra. We did. Yes, we played Subterra. It was okay. It was yeah, I thought it was fun. You're dungeon crawling through a cavern underground. It's very likely to flood or be filled with gas or hmm. uh, cave in. There are many hazards that you face. Um but it's it's cooperative, so you're trying to get out of How the fun. cave together. We yeah, something else in armor. Yeah, it was good. Oh yes, we played Escape from the Dark Castle, and that was not so good. It was really bad. It wasn't really a game. I didn't. It was all like we talk about. Basically, not a game. We talk about Aaliyah. Like this was 100 percent Aaliyah. It was just all chance based. It is trying to have a story, but the story is just. A series of cards that say there's uh, a monster. Right, there's a monster, a, a skeleton attacks you. And it's like, okay, that's not a story, but great, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I would not recommend. So this weekend, um, we had our first like official people over in like over two months. So our friend Glenn came over with his kids and his wife, and he brought dexterity games because i built my own version of this game called tumbling dice because i really wanted to play it i really wanted to play that and i can't find a copy online for less than 80 dollars, and i thought that was ridiculous what? and it was super no. easy to make so i worked last friday to create my own board i just used cardboard and some construction paper and tape and i made my own tumbling dice board and we played that was it fun it's pretty fun it's basically shuffleboard with dice but <laughs> it's like really fun it's cute and you know, everyone can play it. So that was fun. And then he brought this other dexterity game over called Hamster Wheel. Have you guys played that one? Hamster Roll? Hamster yeah. Roll. Yeah, I really want to play that too. Yeah, it was a fun little dexterity game where there's this big hamster looking wheel on the table and you have to place little blocks. And then if if you place too many, the wheel will turn and other blocks will fall off and you have to take those blocks. So that was <laughs> really fun. And then we played, um, interestingly, we played this game called Deduce or Die. I don't know if you guys have played this. No. no. But it's it's kind of like Sleuth, and I, I absolutely hate Sleuth. <laughs> like, I purposely, like, sabotaged my hand. I'm, I, like, I guessed the cards because I didn't want to play anymore. I just guessed two wrong cards just so I could get out of the game because I hated it so much. <laughs> and so I found this other game that's very, very similar to Sleuth online, and I sent it to Glenn because he really, really likes Sleuth. And I was like, oh, this, this game called Deduce or Die, people say they like it better than Sleuth. And so he was like, oh, I'll check it out. And then he brought it because you only need a deck, like, three decks of cards to play this game and some paper. And we played it and I was a little apprehensive because I didn't like Sleuth. But this one was much better. I liked it better than Sleuth. So it's like a 
a deduction game. Very abstract deduction game where like you're trying to find a murderer, but the murderer just has the card that you're looking for. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's really weird. Anyway, those are the games I've played this week. So to start this episode off, I'm, I'm going to talk about puzzle games, but to start it off, I wanted to talk about the Rubik's Cube because I love the Rubik's Cube and I wanted to incorporate <laughs> it in an episode and I was going to make it work. And so this is how I'm making it work. And we're just going to start there. So in 1970, a man named Larry D. Nichols invented the first version of a puzzle cube, which was a two by two by two cube. And these pieces um, rotated in groups around the centerpiece. And it was a magnetic cube. It was made of magnets. And he patented it in Canada and then brought it to the U.S. in 1972. So this was two years before Rubik's invented his own little cube. So um, Erno Rubik was in the Academy of Applied Arts and Crafts in Budapest. He wanted to create a 3D object that his students could use and like see in their head how things on a mechanism move. Hmm. So he created this Rubik's cube and it was actually trying to solve like a structural problem. It wasn't, he didn't even realize he had created a puzzle until he mixed up the cube one day and he's like, wait, I can't, I can't put it back together. And so it really baffled him. And so he called this, this first version of the cube was called the magic cube. The first batches of the Magic Cube were produced in 1977 and released in Budapest toy shops. So the Magic Cube was held together with interlocking plastic pieces that prevented the puzzle from being pulled apart easily. And it was debuted at Germany's Nuremberg Toy Fair in 1979. I would actually love to see the inner workings of a Rubik's Cube because I can't even imagine what it looks like, how everything is connected to everything else. It's, it's not that special, but it's kind of pretty. I mean, my, I've taken mine own apart, and it's kind of interesting, but, I mean, it's it's less exciting than you'd think it would be. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure it's a simple mechanism. Can you easily pull yours apart and then put it right back together? Um, so, not my cube, but we did – so, I'm obsessed with the cube, and, like, I love solving it, and I've been obsessed with it for a few years. So, at our wedding, we had bought cubes for everyone as, like, our door prize. You know how you sit, like – a thing on everyone's table. Uh-huh. And those ones were so poorly made that like, I was like really hoping that they would last a while because we, we printed like a sticker on them. And like when you solve the cube, it had like our names and our wedding date on oh, it. Oh, cute. So like, people would know what, what date we got married and stuff like that. But it was a disaster. They kept falling apart like as soon as people picked them up. And so those ones are easily pulled apart. <laughs> but I don't think all <laughs> I of see. them are. <laughs> got it. <laughs> so... um. So the cube itself was picked up by Ideal Toys after this fair, and it was um, it was released. They wanted to release it worldwide as the Magic Cube. They went through several different names. They didn't technically like the Magic Cube name, so they they changed the name to the Gregorian Knot, and then they changed it to Inca Gold, and then the final the company finally decided on the Rubik's Cube, and that was like the the name of it before it was released worldwide in in May of 1980. So the Rubik's Cube reached its height of mainstream popularity in the 1980s. So and then it kind of died down quite a bit after that. But people still play it today. They, they love the Rubik's Cube, and, and I'm one of those people. So the um, Rubik's Cube International governing body still holds worldwide competitions and or like 
events where people can go and play the cube. And the top speed for a human to solve the Rubik's Cube is 4.22 seconds. It was what? done by Felix Zemdegs. He was able to solve the cube in 4.22 seconds. And that's the world record. And that still stands as of this podcast. I mean, How? people are trying to beat that record every day but did he grease it up did he just like cover it in oil so you could just move everything really fast i mean if you're going to be a champion you got to lube your cube (laughs) (laughs) i mean they obviously use speed cubes which were not a thing until recently but um (laughs) there's also a robot the fastest robot to solve the rubik's cube was the I guess the name of it was Sub-1 Reloaded, and it has a time of 0.637 seconds back in November of 2016. So that's a pretty old record. I'm surprised no one's beaten it by now, but... I don't know how many people are a- in the market of building robots solely to solve there's definitely cubes. There's definitely at least two, but <laughs> he's the fastest, clearly. Right. <laughs> how do you guys feel about the Rubik's Cube? I'm going to ask you that first. You know, I actually, during that... that scavenger hunt that we talked about earlier, we kind of tore our house apart because, you know, during a scavenger hunt, you're trying to find various things. And I found my old Rubik's Cube. Um, I didn't even actually realize I still had it. I bought one in college or maybe in high school just to have it. And I, I moved it around a little bit for just for the pleasure of moving it, but I never actually tried to solve it. Um, so I'm very inexperienced with the cube and I I don't know, I think it would be satisfying to solve it, but I don't know how. I know that you, you Sarah, you've taught me a little bit about the strategies for solving a cube, but I've never actually tried. I think logic puzzles are super fun, but Rubik's Cubes and all, all mechanical puzzles I, bore, bore me to tears. We watched Mr. Puzzle videos, and I'm fascinated by the, the idea of the puzzle but actually solving them. We keep getting them as gifts like every year. We do get get a ton of, of, yeah, we get a ton of physical puzzles because people who don't know anything about board games and what kinds of board games you like, they're like, oh, this is a physical object. Let's just get them this physical puzzle. And it's, it's a gift that we get quite often. But yes, Mr. Puzzle on YouTube what an excellent YouTube channel. It is so huh. much fun to watch. And <laughs> he just takes every, he's solved, oh my gosh, hundreds and hundreds of puzzles, like most of the puzzles in the world probably. And he does it on on camera. So at first he just shows it to you and then there's a spoiler warning and then you can watch him actually do it or not. And he's done all of the hardest and most expensive puzzles. I know my, my sister-in-law does not like the cube because she thought it was this like intuitive thing you could just solve by yourself like you didn't need anyone's help but that's normally not the case with the rubik's cube you usually have to have someone teach you how to do it or look up how to solve it yeah that's how most of these mechanical puzzles work is that you try it it's impossible and then you look it up and there's a trick and you're like oh interesting and the trick is interesting and then that's the end which is the opposite of how i would define puzzles i don't i don't even consider it a puzzle because to me it doesn't even fit the definition of what I consider a puzzle. Well, don't you think it's a puzzle if you don't know what those strategies are? It's not it's not possible. You no one could do unless they were like completely unemployable. Uh, <laughs> you would have to spend months of just staring at a Rubik's cube when you could just very quickly look it up. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so puzzle games have are just really popular. As, 
the ones that Damon is describing, I mean, Hanayama toys were like a huge thing. I think they still are. I don't know if you've gotten one of those. What is a Hanayama toy? They're basically like a metal puzzle, but they feel really good in your hand. Um, But we used to get them like every Christmas and they still make them and they're hugely popular at Barnes and Noble. Oh, well, then that's, I guess, what we have. I didn't know they, they usually say Hanayama on the box. Like that's the manufacturer oh. of the product. But um, now all the ones we have are true genius. Hmm. We've oh, got similar the knockoff knockoff Hanayama. <laughs> <laughs> so puzzle games are basically games in which you're problem solving. You recognize patterns. That's kind of like the Rubik's cube. There's organizational aspects to them, sequencing objectives, that sort of thing. But why do people like puzzle games? Why do you think people like puzzle games? I love puzzle games. I do too. Um, I actually looked up the puzzle genre on Board Game Geek and was very surprised at some of the things that I saw that were labeled puzzles. Um, one yeah. one of the top ones was patchwork, which I can see is is a puzzle, and that's real. F- yeah, I can see that as a puzzle, and it's a fun game. Hmm. Uh, and then there are things like Ubongo. Which the is was definitely a puzzle game. Yeah, which is definitely a puzzle game. Uh, but then there were things like Mansions of Madness, which yeah, was that's labeled. Not a puzzle game. Yeah, no. But it was labeled as one of the top ten puzzle games. What? Yes. And there were some other ones too that were like that. And I have trouble understanding how exactly people are defining puzzle. Time Stories was also in the top ten. Time Stories is a puzzle game. You think so? Yeah. Some of the scenarios have puzzles. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I think about oh, Isle of Cats was in the top 10, which I do understand as a puzzle game because it's got those uh, polyomino pieces. But it's kind of hard. I, I have trouble understanding exactly what a puzzle game is. Uh, Zendo, which is what I talked about last week, is labeled a puzzle game, which obviously I love Zendo. So I definitely love some puzzle games. But as a genre, I feel like it's one of the loosest genres that I have seen. It's pretty seen. loose. Puzzle puzzle video games are defined usually as they're separate from adventure games. So adventure games started with the game, well, they didn't actually start with Myst, but they started becoming super popular with the game Myst. Um, and adventure games were split into two basic ideas, which are escape room games, Myst-like, and then there are adventure games that are point-and-click character-based adventure games, which are inventory management games. where you Like Tomb Raider or something? No, like uh, Monkey Island. Tomb is like a puzzle game, right? No. <laughs> no. I mean, all it is are... is a series of puzzles you're solving to get to the end to fight the big monster boss or But whatever. the puzzles are so simple that you can't even call it a puzzle game, really. Because the They're puzzles are just simple. too easy. The newest version of Tomb Raider, like, we had to help my dad for like 20 minutes with that puzzle in there. So I disagree with you. <laughs> there are occasionally <laughs> difficult puzzles that I will ask Cassandra to do because I really hate Sokoban. So, so here's the thing, that in every, basically every... Every video, particularly now for some reason, um, every video game has these crate-pushing Sokoban puzzles. Sokoban is an old Japanese puzzle where you take a bunch of little rocks in a maze and you push those rocks around. In America, we call it traffic jam, I think. They used to sell it in um, the stores where you'd buy, like, vibrating chairs and stuff. <laughs> there were, like, weird novelty stores. Well, I can't remember what they called. Something stone. A novelty store. Something stone. It was Stony like- Brook? Stony Brook. Stony Brook. Uh, would I loved Stony Brook. <gasps> that was such a great shop. Never but if you wanted weird this. novelty puzzle games, then they would have those elegant looking puzzle games for like $100. Traffic Jam isn't exactly the same as Sokoban, but both of those puzzles are usually represented in video games now. 
And um, those are the ones that I'll have Cassandra solve because I, I really, really don't like those little mechanical puzzles because they're not logic puzzles. They're just... Physical space puzzles? The difficulty is in executing the puzzle, hmm. not in working your way through the puzzle. It's, a, it's, it's not a dexterity puzzle, but it, it's like halfway between like a logic puzzle and an action movement. So I, I kind of agree with you. I don't like those puzzles either. But anyway, we'll move on. So the reason I think, I mean, I've done a lot of research for this week's episode, but basically I think a lot of people like just to solve puzzles in general, because they get that aha moment. Like when they figure out something like, oh my gosh, I figured it out. And like, that's very rewarding to human beings. We love to have that aha moment. And still others play crossword puzzles to sharpen their brain. But puzzles in general give us a way to sort of reassure ourselves that our mind's not going crazy. They give people spatial reasoning skills. They, they're just they kind of break across cultural lines as well because everyone likes to solve puzzles. I know I like to solve puzzles and there's been lots of research done. Different studies kind of contradict each other whether puzzles can actually improve your brain skills like to prevent dementia. There's there's papers saying that that's true and there's other papers disproving that. Like there's no definitive research on whether puzzle games can help help you cognitively or not. There is proof that if you play more puzzle games, you can solve puzzles better, but it, they're not sure if that stretches across to other things like mathematics or language or, you know, anything like that. So it's an interesting topic. You're improving brain plasticity in that direction. So like the, if you solve a wide, wide, wide variety of puzzles, then you're going to improve brain plasticity in those orientations. So if you solve a crossword puzzle one day and then a logic puzzle and then a Rubik's cube and then a whatever... Um, then your brain plasticity will open up a little bit. But if you do nothing but crossword puzzles, then you'll get really, really good at crossword puzzles, but you'll actually start pruning off other areas of the brain. So if anything, you'd get more dementia. But you'll never get crossword puzzle dementia. <laughs> you'll always be really good at crossword It's puzzles. like cross-training and exercise. They tell yeah, you yeah. you should not only do cardio, you need to do cardio and flexibility and weight training and all of that. You want to, you don't want to get stuck doing just one thing. I know what was interesting about watching the YouTube channel, Mr. Puzzle, which was really fun. He's a cool guy and he, he solves all these cool puzzles is at a certain point, you solve so many puzzles, you know, every single mechanic possible. So he would take a puzzle and he would say, okay, I don't see anything visible. So there's probably a ball bearing inside of the puzzle. And the way that you get the ball bearing out is by spinning the puzzle. And it's like, that isn't logical reasoning. It's just you've seen a puzzle before with a ball bearing inside of it. And so he would just be spinning the puzzle on the table and it would work. And uh, so in that way too, it's, it's not always just about becoming smarter. It's also becoming more, as Damon was talking about a couple weeks ago, more literate in the puzzles that, that you're doing, more familiar with the world. That's what, I mean, a Rubik's Cube is, is that. You, you become Rubik's Cube literate. Right. You're just reading. You're reading the cube. I agree. Right. I I think I'm Rubik's cube literate. I know how the cube works in a certain way to not dislodge other pieces if I'm trying to solve a cube I've never solved. But anyway, um, so I think I think it's true, like, especially with these Hanayama toys I was talking about, or the toys you have. You can sell those in any country, and like people could still be able to solve them because the gimmick for Hanayama puzzles is take it apart, put it back together. That's all you have to do. So anyone in any country could do that. You don't need to be 
I don't know, you don't even need a set of instructions. It doesn't come with instructions. It just says, take it apart and put it together and then you've solved it. So I think that's really appealing to people. And it's really appealing to, I think, publishers because they can publish it all over the world and not have to have a set of instructions in it. People like holding things like that in their hands. We talked about that in the tactile episode a couple episodes ago. And Hanayama puzzles in general are just very, very nice to hold. They're very solid pieces of metal and they feel good and they're shiny. And who doesn't love to play with something like that, even if you can't ever solve the puzzle? <laughs> but um, I kind of agree with you that it, it it loses some of its interest after a while. I'm like, especially if it's just like a, like a trick, like you said, or there just happens to be one little thing that's different on this piece and you have to maneuver that little piece into that crook to get it to you know, come apart. I think that's kind of dumb. It's not a puzzle, like Damon was saying. It's kind of just like, oh, I have to notice that this thing is a little different and then slide it there. Like, I don't know. The interesting thing about puzzle games and these specifically these hand puzzle games is that people in different cultures solve them differently. So um, Americans solve these puzzles differently than East Asians. There have been research papers published on this about how Americans' brains work um, harder at recognizing relative judgments, whereas East Asian brains um, have a harder time with absolute judgments. So culturally, even if we can solve the same puzzle, we're looking at it a different way, which I think is really cool. So um, there was a quote that someone had put on the internet. I don't know who this is from, but people from different cultures don't see the world differently, but they think differently about what they see. Mm-hmm. Actually, we, Damon and I played Uru, which is missed online, the video game recently. And there was one puzzle that was a mathematical puzzle that I ended up solving. And it was really hard, took like half an hour to figure it out. Finally solved, it worked, we were amazed. And then we ended up looking up later that area of the game. And the way everybody else solved it was actually different from the way I solved it. How interesting. Yeah, which is it, the interesting thing about numbers is that you can actually, sometimes you can solve mathematical problems in, in several different ways. That's really cool. And I think um, this is also, while we're talking about puzzles, I'm just going to segue into escape rooms. So that's why people like to, they like escape rooms because basically an escape room is this like a hundred moments of, oh my gosh, I got it. Oh my gosh, I got it. And like people love to feel that way and their minds are you know, always looking for new information and ways to make things more efficient mm-hmm. and to solve problems in the world around them. And that's what escape rooms do. Um, they do it really well. And that's why people get addicted to escape rooms t- so easily because they're like, oh, my gosh, we worked as a team. We got this done and now we can do it again. And like they spend so much money on them going back and back and back because they they want yeah. to solve puzzles. Like the whole room itself is you're trying to get out of the room, which is a puzzle. But then there's like hundreds of little puzzles for you to get to that goal, which is fun. Yeah. Escape rooms are extremely fun, extremely addicting. The funny thing about escape rooms is that you basically can't read reviews of escape rooms because every time somebody does an escape room for the first time, it's always going to be exciting and impressive no matter what, because they're just fun and the puzzles are, are new and exciting. And uh, so there is, again, there's something to be said about escape room literacy. Mm-hmm. Once you've done, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 escape rooms, it's harder to go to an escape room and appreciate it if you've seen all the types of puzzles before. 
Exactly. Um, so we we have trouble sometimes looking up reviews for escape rooms because we're very picky and we want to go to the best ones. <laughs> and and the people are like, oh my god, this is such an amazing room. And then we go and we're underwhelmed just because we've experienced so many things already and we've seen the same puzzles over and over again. And at some point, finding new puzzles is really hard because there are a limited, like most of these puzzles are old puzzles, like really mm -hmm. old, like mm -hmm. 50 to 100 years old. And these are just puzzles that were once published in newspapers mm. and are now being put into escape rooms. And many of the times I've originally played them in video games and I'm just like snapped to, oh yeah, I remember 15 years ago, uh, I did this thing and this is exactly the same and I'll solve it the exact same way. Or when I was seven, I solved this puzzle this way, I'll do it again in this room and physically I'll change it. Right. And and it works because there's only so many ways you can actually build, build puzzles. And when somebody builds a new puzzle, it's really revolutionary because something like brand new has been invented and everybody wants to to solve it together and figure out how it's done yeah nobody has any idea yeah we've definitely still found some really really amazing like completely fresh cool escape rooms so there's still possibilities out there <laughs> i finally i think that the reason people really like escape rooms as well is like we live in the culture of like instant gratification and, like, that's what a basically an escape room is. Like, you're getting instant gratification the whole game. Like, oh, my gosh, I solved this puzzle. Oh, my gosh, I solved this puzzle. And then when you get out, you're like, you feel so accomplished. And you're like, I've done something with my life, even though you really haven't done anything with your life. You've just gotten out of a room. You no, Sarah, house. it's an accomplishment. <laughs> that's why you take photographs afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, they've capitalized on these escape rooms a lot. I mean, there's so many of them. But so I'm going to segue into board games now because... It's in the past, you know, five years, they've really gotten into escape room board games, which You is... got really into escape room board games. Mm -hmm. So did I. So did I. And there's Unlock, there's Exit, there's Escape the Room, there's this one called Secret of Dr. Gravely's Escape, and we've played, we've played pretty much all of these. We love them so much. Um, but unlike Escape the Rooms, where you have to pay like $25 a person, which I think is kind of a ripoff, but maybe it's not. I don't know. I still feel <laughs> like they're kind of fun. You can buy a box like Unlock for 10 bucks or 12 bucks or whatever, and then you all can play for $12 instead of having to pay $25 a person. I like this aspect of the Escape the Room boxes. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, that's but. why we started doing it. I mean, there's only so many escape rooms we can do per year, mm -hmm. like economically, but as far as the Unlock games, we were able to do a lot of them. Um, and we've still gotten way more physical escape rooms than we have board game escape rooms. Yeah. But there just aren't enough board game escape rooms for that to work and i'd say the number of good ones to bad ones in the board games are still pretty pretty even i mean it's like a a coin flip but yeah uh yeah. that's pretty good for escape rooms <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i still love physical escape rooms way more but when you're going to be investing 50 dollars to go and do a room it is painful if it's not good yeah. If you invest $10 into an unlock and it's not good, it's like, eh, oh well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I didn't really have a definition for puzzle games. I didn't even know where to look to find that. I found like four that I was going to mention because I don't, these are like true puzzle. Like I think you have to like figure out a puzzle for them. Um, so set is a card game that I just bought recently. And it's definitely a puzzle game because you have to... Definitely a puzzle game. Yeah, definitely. You have to set your mind in a way to find patterns in cards and then call out the patterns before other people call out the patterns. It's a very puzzle-y game. And I like it for that reason. 
Um, Ricochet Robots is basically just a puzzle game with robots. I don't think there's any other game to it. It's just a puzzle, right? It's just a puzzle. I was going to mention Zendo because that is a puzzle game. And Mm -hmm. we talked about inductive reasoning, but it's also kind of a puzzle game. And I like Mm -hmm. that reason. Zendo's a puzzle game. Yeah, definitely. And then the last one, because I, I don't know, I just couldn't find any more that like I thought were really puzzle games. Because like Cassandra, I kept finding stuff. I'm like, this really isn't a puzzle game. Like, why is it being categorized that way? But I think Mastermind is kind of a puzzle game. Yeah, so Mastermind's a puzzle game. My I brother, my list. brother loves Mastermind. Yeah, it's a fun game. It's really fun. I'm really bad at it, but it helps you in other games because there's a lot of Mastermind aspects in in Time Stories, for instance. They put a lot of Mastermind kind of puzzle mm. puzzly games in that game. So. Mm. Yeah, those are the ones. And do you guys have any other ones that you would like to to mention? Well, there's lots of, uh, I mean, cooperative games are these generative puzzles sometimes. I mean, not all cooperative games necessarily are, are puzzle-oriented. But there's there's a few, you know, cooperative games that will generate puzzles for you as a group to solve um, in some way. And certainly, like, the games that I create are, whenever I'm thinking of a cooperative game, they're always, like, generating a puzzle to solve that's the whole point mm. um we have a game called fold it which i you, you talked about that i did before. yeah i talked um, about it in the feelies episode but, but if you didn't definitely a puzzle game didn't hear the feelies episode fold it is just a series of handkerchiefs covered in uh, squares and each of the squares has some food on it uh, you could draw a card the card shows some combination of food squares and everybody has to fold the handkerchief as fast as possible um in order to show only the food squares on the card And uh, the nice thing is that there are two types of cards, easy and hard. And because of the dexterity properties of Fold It, because it's just a handkerchief that you have to fold, I'm really good at the puzzling, puzzling, Mm -hmm. the the logical puzzling of it. My hands don't work great. Cassandra is really great at the hand movement (laughs) and not as good at the puzzling. But if we mix up the cards, then every time you draw one, if you draw an easy one, she can beat me at an easy puzzle because I'm not as dexterologically... Dexterous. <laughs> not as dexterous. Uh, so it, it has a, a great um, distribution of like puzzling types, right? Between dexterity puzzles and logic puzzles. You can mm-hmm. mix them and match them that way and then anybody can kind of play mm-hmm. and be okay at the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the person who's best at the logic part, but just destroying everybody else at the puzzle game. Which yeah. is usually why these puzzle games don't work is somebody who's just really, really good at noticing how the puzzle works just hammers everybody else. Yeah, it's definitely a nice way to balance. I don't think that the game is designed to be played that way necessarily, but it's the way that we play and it's a really nice way to balance things. Yeah, and then um, I'm looking at our uh, collection right now to see if we have any other puzzle games. So some of the other ones that I saw on the list, it did say that Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective was a puzzle game. It is a puzzle game, but it's a bad puzzle game. Well, but here's the thing, and and it's the thing that annoys me about this genre label, is that I don't know if Sherlock Holmes should be in the same category as Copenhagen, which is also labeled as a puzzle game, which is another... They're completely different. Yeah. Right, which well, is another is, polyomino This is what game. I talked about before with, with game descriptive labeling, is that it's the same as trying to describe you know, video games along with football. They're mm. both games, like puzzles are games, board games are games, like literally a jigsaw puzzle is a game, but they they have nothing really to do with each other mm-hmm. except for the fact that they are pointless. That's what makes all of these things 
connect is that they are all completely pointless <laughs> besides that they have an internal goal right get the ball to the hoop get the jigsaw puzzle to all look like one image um their activities and we ran out of words and so we call a lot of them puzzles and uh, and this is why video games ended up splitting up between puzzle games like tetris and adventure games like mm-hmm. mist and, and um and even then, adventure games blossomed, and now it's really hard to talk about what an adventure game is. Um, yeah. Puzzle games were made slightly the same because everybody tried to imitate. Something huge came out. Tetris made infinite amounts of money, and now everybody tries to make a similar sort of structure. Um, so when somebody says, I have a board game, you know kind of generally what that is. And if somebody says, I have a puzzle, your first instinct, in America at least, is probably to think that it's a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I agree And then maybe one of those... Hanayama true genius things mm-hmm. um, or something similar, some kind of little dexterity object. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody says puzzle, I generally think if this is multiple people involved, it's cooperative. Yes. But there are competitive puzzle games. Like I was looking at uh, Ubongo. So Ubongo is weird because it's literally just a tanagram. So you're trying. Tangram. Uh, it's a tangram. Sorry. <laughs> so you're trying. They're called tangrams. Tangrams. So I always called them tanagrams. Don't don't call them tanagrams. Yeah, I, I also call them tanagrams. Colorado. I like tanagrams. Or shame tangrams. shame on us! How rude you are. <laughs> um, so it's a tangram. <laughs> Uh, that everybody is just individually doing a tangram, which is where you have a series of shapes and you're trying to fit all of these shapes into a single shape. It's a puzzle everybody knows, but it's weird that Ubongo takes that and makes it competitive because huh. it isn't adding anything to the game at all. It's still the exact same puzzle, except for now there's a timer involved, which... I don't know. I think it's kind of so strange. So that's the funny thing is that I don't actually like Ubongo, but I do like a game that we played at Gen Con. So at Gen Con, we played a puzzle game um, about packing a suitcase. The game is called Get Packing, and this is a game that it was really hard to understand what we were getting into when we grabbed the game and just started playing it. So it has a card that you draw, like so many of these puzzly games, that shows a number of objects. And what you have is all of these objects poured out. Everybody's going to use the same objects to pack their own little micro suitcase. And the goal is to close the suitcase with all of the objects inside of it. They're all made of plastic, and at first it wasn't obvious that all of the objects were actually tangrams that were three-dimensional structures. So it was like a tangram, but the top of the tangram is like... A flip-flop, flip-flop or a or beach gobble, ball. Goggles or something. Mm-hmm. And um, the underside is just a normal tangram. So you're, if you know how to solve tangrams, you already have a leg up. So you're rotating and flipping and putting these little objects into the suitcase. But then there's usually two layers to it. So now it's a tangram with two parts that have to lay on top of each other before you can close the suitcase. So at first I started and I was like, all right, I'll just kind of like hammer them in until they work. But they're pers- We thought it was a children's game yeah. because it looked so cute. Nope. It looked so cute. <laughs> and these little baby suitcases were like, oh, let's just play this for five minutes. It was so hard. The hardest puzzle game I've ever played in my life. It that was, sounds like a good puzzle game. It was, it was really quite good. It, 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 very, very difficult to the point where we would spend like 10 minutes trying to pack this tiny suitcase and just be angry that our brains are not rotating the stupid flipper in the right way to get the beach ball to pack into the stupid thing. Because I know it's not actually three-dimensional. It's just pretending to be three-dimensional. Yeah. It's two layers of two-dimensional objects trying to stack on top of each other. But you, you have such a hard time grasping it 
didn't sell super, super well. I think it's because somebody tried to buy it for their kid and then their kid like burned down the house because they were so angry that they lost every time it, or everybody lost so and hard. everybody threw their game away. Um, but it, amazingly well engineered, very, very precise. You don't start off thinking it's going to be super precise, but like all Tangram games, it is. And um, it was really fun. And I don't like Ubongo and I do like that. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah, that was a great, great puzzle game. Because um, you would pack your suitcase, you would you would be on the simple level, and it would say pack these five objects, and you do it, and you're like, whoo, that was hard, and you feel you feel really good, and you're then like, I was pretty good at that, right? And then you get to the <laughs> medium level, and it's like pack those same objects, but also add these four more objects, and you're like, what? I can't manage. Yeah, you're that. like, I just closed it, and it was full. Right? How am I going to accomplish this? It and won't it turns fit out it's possible. <laughs> It's not going to fit in the suitcase, guys. It can't be done. Yeah. I think you can fit. A, it was a, a big number. It was like eight, nine, ten objects could fit in the suitcase. Yeah, and I'd pack one. four and I'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm really good. I got four <laughs> in there. I'm like really sorted my suitcase good. And yeah, it, it turns out you're just dumb and you got to solve it the way they ask. It's it's really cool. Yeah. It's a really cool game. Yeah. Would Bandu be a puzzle game? I would say Bandu is a dexterity game. I think you could play you could play it puzzle. It's it, there's a lot of puzzling aspects to to Bandu, even though it's I think a you could puzzle. argue literally any game is a puzzle because of our loose definition of a puzzle. Yeah. You could say, oh, a Euro game is a puzzle because you're trying to figure out how to set up your economy the best possible. Like the, our word puzzle is so broad, overarching. Yeah, it's so broad that you can kind of use it to say anything is a puzzle as long as there's any sort of logic involved. I guess the mm. reason the, the the reason I chose the games I did is because these ones are very you're problem solving, but you're also using the pattern recognition sort of the thing. Like especially in Ricochet Robots or in Set, like mm. there's pattern recognition there, and I think pattern. I think you you get the, the nail on the head there. I think pattern recognition is the thing that sets it going. Where like that's what a jigsaw puzzle is. You're just looking at all you're doing is recognizing micro patterns and then matching them to other micro patterns across the board. Mm -hmm. And that's I think that's where it is, where all of the puzzles connect is in pattern recognition of some kind. So even if you're just taking the physical puzzle on the ground and spinning it to get the ball bearings moving, you're doing so because you've noticed the pattern of previous simpler puzzles, which also included ball bearings. And so for you as the puzzle solver, even though I don't even I barely grasp that these things are even considered puzzles. Um, the puzzle is all puzzles in the world together, and this is just the latest in a series of of puzzles. And the puzzle literacy is the pattern throughout time as well. In that case, Bandu doesn't fit because there is no pattern recognition in Bandu, where there mm -hmm. certainly is in Fold It and Get Packing. Also, it definitely there's a pattern recognition thing where like once you solve an earlier one, you're more equipped to solve later ones. Mm -hmm. Um, where Euro games don't work that way, that unless they have a pattern recognition element to them. Um, Couldn't you then argue that all social deception deduction games are puzzle games? I think there are definitely, like, the the best social deduction games have reduced the puzzle element because once you can count cards or something, once you can notice the pattern inherent in some of those deduction games it makes the game way, way, way less fun. After playing Avalon, like, I don't know, we've played like 50 times, there are certain logical paths through that game that are correct, more correct than others, and you're pruning off the less efficient paths. Um, anywhere where the 
system isn't perfect, you're you're getting less and less likely to make hugely incorrect deductions, which are where a lot of the fun comes in. Um, so there is a, there is certainly a puzzling aspect there, um, wherever the math isn't perfect in those social deduction games. Well, that's that's pretty much all I had for puzzles today. I just wanted to talk about the Rubik's Cube, really, but <laughs> I managed to do it, guys. I managed to do it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, let's encourage the listeners, if they want to suggest a puzzle game that we maybe didn't speak of on the podcast, maybe we could get some suggestions from them through our website or email. I'm still looking for really good escape room games that aren't unlock or exit. Like, not games that are necessarily even on board Game Geek, but escape room games that are just like an Etsy or something. I don't know. Uh, like a puzzle, a real like head scratching five hour puzzle or something. Yeah. That's something I'm looking for. But um, so if anyone knows of any, send them Damon's way. He wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely advise Unlock to anybody. There's, there's a bunch of bad ones, but there are a bunch of really good ones too. And I can't really define which one is good and which one is bad. It's worth getting any one of those like three packs of unlocks and getting together like two to four people, probably two people, but it can probably ha- handle up to four and um, and breaking those down because those are really fun puzzles fun. and a lot of them are really fun. well done. They're all done by different designers. Um, unlike the exit games, all of the exit games are done by um, two designers, Inca Brand, Inca Brand and her husband. And um, because the unlock games are all done by different designers, if you don't like one, you definitely might like another one because they all have very different ideas about how they're constructed and how they're played. Hmm. Highly, highly advised. And uh, we're, we're going to put the images for some of these games on the website. Everyone can go and check that out at playdnapodcast.com. And there's a contact us page if you want to give us suggestions. And as always, play safe, play often, and we hope to have you as a listener next time. 